82, one day at a time, day 10, double digits, double digits, and we're still here, and I think I know, I don't know anything anymore, listen, what we know today is Scotland are involved, and they're always entertaining, Belgium are involved, and they're fairly entertaining, Poland involved, and they were very boring up until now, Kieran, how are you? Buenos dias, Rob. Uh, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this because uh, I'm enthused enough after Scotland's performance against the non-blue Brazil, like the actual mm. Brazil. They could, they could be. This team could be going places. Mhm. Mhm. Well, like, I... going places on the Iberian Peninsula as opposed to the Outer Hebrides. Well, as Barry <laughs> Davis says at the start of the commentary, are they going to take the high road or the low road? Kevin's back. Hi, Kevin. Hi, lads. I was going to burst into song when you said high road and low road there, but I'll save the audience. Uh, yeah, Barry Davis, that, that yeah. kind of quintessential Celt. I'm sure he was right behind us the whole way through. Uh, <laughs> I thought Jimmy Hill was pretty sympathetic all the way through. Now I have to say on the commentary, Jimmy Hill got a ingratiate himself. Yeah, his card had been marked from the game before, I think. <laughs> Mick, how are you? What were you watching? Uh, I, I'm good, yeah. I'm, ah, sure. I'm emotional, Rob. I'm emotional. It was an emotional day. It, you know, when the Scots are involved, mm, they're, my, was actually. they're like more or less, I think, my favourite team in this. I think, well, you know, pound for pound, they, they, they bring it all to these to, to these games. What was I watching? I had a proper look at Hungary, Belgium, and I had a proper look at uh, at the Scots, obviously, against USSR. I, like, it's the first, last day of the groups, if you know what I mean. This is the first round, is the round of, of the third game. So people are going home, or at least they think they might be going home because in this weird, screwy setup in 82, the group games aren't all on at the same time. Oh yeah, the TV people are in command again. They've figured this all out properly, haven't they? You know what we should do, guys? We should have two games at once on two different channels so that everything is fair and transparent in this great big oh, yeah. world jamboree of ours. Insane <laughs> stuff. I love like, to work insane. out great in this round of games. Like Austria, Germany's going to be a cracker. I know we've been saying it for days, but I can feel it. It's the Good one. It's on. the one. It's I, the I, one game that's completely immune to this problem. Will be Austria West Germany. I'm confident. But if, you know, we'll put that aside for another day. Like we have, you know, Scotland going into their final game in the group, uh, knowing they have to win. The USSR have to. That's probably the only one because Brazil are already through and they're playing New Zealand tomorrow. I think is it or in a couple of days anyway. So that's fine. Tomorrow, but it's yeah. the other one: Hungary, Belgium. Hungary, Belgium. Like Belgium are are, are through. I think, but Hungary need a result. But Argentina aren't playing today who are the other teams that are battling with Hungary for that spot so Argentina are obviously going to know what they have to do after today this is stuff that's completely alien to 21st century World Cups you see to me it's a complete brain bender watching and it's been a brain bender all the way through because I'm like going you know I wonder why they changed it what what made them yeah look go yeah. On. we'll find, we'll find oh, out I'm sure I'm going to pop up in this yeah, I, I, I think um, you know being as Kevin's gone through this process for Qatar 22 of selecting games and all that. So you'd have loved this, wouldn't you, Kev? Uncertain days. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's good It's good to have two teams that need to qualify by winning the game playing on different days. That's always much more fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it going for a whole 24 hours. 
it's just crazy stuff. It really is crazy stuff. Like, but do you know what? It doesn't like the Hungarians and the Belgians deliver a really, really good game. The USSR and Scotland, mm-hmm. it's just enthralling. I like even when you know the result, it's bloody enthralling. Uh, but I think where we start, where the first game we're starting with wasn't quite so enthralling, but it was kind of yeah, had its exciting moments, didn't it? Poland five, Peru one. Five one. Some of the best goals of this World Cup, I'm sure, were in this game. At least one of the goals is definitely going to feature in our goal of the tournament conversation. Surely, Kieran. If Adair had not scored the goal he did <laughs> uh, for Brazil on day one, I think we'd have our goal of the World Cup so far in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was it Bunchal? Have I pronounced that right? Yeah, well, that's how the commentator from Spain was pronounced. Yeah, I mean, he, that, this is a cracker. This is one that's worth going to the old YouTube vaults for, folks. And it didn't look like it was going to come because the first half of this game, (laughs) Poland didn't look like they could score if the goalposts took up the entire width of the field. Mm. Nothing would go in for them. And I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but like, did they have a perfectly legitimate goal disallowed too? Yes, or? yes. beautiful goal disallowed. Absolutely. Give me a picture, goal. boys. Give me a Bunkul. picture. Bunkul makes an incredible run for that disallowed goal. That could have been up there. So, like, I mean, he was having an inspired game. Uh, but yeah, it, it was almost like the goals were as badly built as the ground. That was their perspective, I'd say, on it there, Kieran. They were thinking it wasn't them, it was the engineering, because it was surely wasn't them. They were playing so so well. That's no. it. Nil nil half time. Wow. No, nil nil half time, and you're going, it's now been two and a half games that Poland have not managed to score in, like the pressure on them at this stage must mm. have been immense. Mm. And um, what does the Peruvian manager, our old friend Tim of the interesting Brazilian nickname do? On 50 minutes, That's he takes stuff. off the second highest. Like Teofilo Kubias makes his exit from the World Cup on the 50th minute. And from then on, so whatever about his play, you have to say maybe his leadership was lacking from then on because Peru capitulate from that point onwards. Yeah. That's the second time Tim has done this. He did it in the first game as well. Mm. When they were kind of rolling along okay and he takes off Kubias and it kind of, it doesn't fall apart, but it's they lose something. They certainly lose something without him on the, on the pitch. He's such a great player. Even, even though he's at the end of his career in 82, He's just such a good player. He's going to make something happen. But I guess it it struck me like, I mean, I, I, off the top of my head now, I can't think how many goals have been scored in this group of Italy, Peru, Poland and Cameroon. But it's pretty freaking low. Would like you, we're talking like probably four or five goals. I would, yeah, I would. Two. Two. There was a goal each for Two. Italy and Peru. <laughs> That's all been scored in this Jesus group. Jesus Christ. Um, well, there you go. And, and I mean, <laughs> so, like, in fairness, it's not that the games are appalling. Like they were, all of them were kind of engaging in yeah. their own way. But like this now is kind of like, uh, it's it feels like that, I know, that old bitten Shawshank again. You know, how often do we use this analogy, particularly involving World Cups, uh, where Andy Dufresne has had to kind of crawl through four football fields of shite uh, and comes out the other end and he's tearing his shirt off in the rain and he's, ah! Poland are like that. Well, 
and they just go and score five. They go and score five goals in the second half, and they're off to a beach in Mexico where they're going to be working on a boat for a while, waiting for Morgan Freeman to land down to them. Ne- never mind how much the Poles wanted a goal. This is the third game in Acronia. And at halftime, they're looking right. down the barrel of a third scoreless draw. So oh, if you're one of the locals straight. that purchased a ticket, you're probably going, oh my God, I paid for this <laughs> tripe. Um, and then just Kubias is gone in 50 minutes and 11 minutes later, it's game over. Poland are 3-0 up. Uh, first goal comes from Smolarek, followed very shortly after by our old friend Gregor Lato. Uh, Banyak gets in on the act. We finally see the arrival of Banyak. Yeah. Uh, and then, as we've we've alluded to, like fourth goal by Bunchal, 68th minute. By the 76th, Chile comes in with their fifth. And I'd say the Peruvians are just going, what the hell? Like in approximately 21 minutes, we've been taken to the cleaners. La Rosa, La Rosa gets one back for them. But it, it's it's gone. Like there's no hope for them. I would say after Bonyex goes in, uh, and that probably contributes to the defending when Bonchols comes along. Like I want you to really d- describe the fourth goal, right, in a second. But just like for the other, for the for the first few, it's like it's in a way, it's exactly what you want for Poland. The first goal comes off of a poor defensive pass, just a square pass across the defence, really slack that the poles pick up on drive into the box goal. Second one, actually, just when you mentioned Lato, and this is just, again, for people who are kind of going, Lato, what? Lato, when we, we spoke about him previously in another episode, like, this is old school Lato. So back in the early 70s, he was known for his speed and getting in behind defences and just ripping them. I've said it on an earlier episode, I'll say it again. He scores a goal in the 1974 World Cup against Brazil. That, again, is YouTube-worthy, like, go find it. It's This is not far off of this. So he gets in because like, a counter-attack and he's just gone like grease lightning behind the defence. And the keeper comes out and he finishes it from about 25 yards. And it's a one-on-one, like. It's a great finish. Curls it around him. Um, it's a lovely, lovely finish. It was just great to see him in that in in that way. And as you say, Boniek, who had played well against Italy first day out, died a death in the next match. Uh, is back with a bang from what I saw of, of, of the, what I watched the game he was back with a bang in a big way but I want to clear the stage for the fourth goal because I think as you say this deserves this deserves the full-blown Technicolor David Lean widescreen we've built a special camera lens just to film this goal we're never going to use the lens again treatment and on that note I hand over to Rob because he gets more excited about these things than I do I, just, just for the for the listeners, I I did kind of drift away there and put on YouTube for Lato's goal against Brazil in the nineteen seventy four World Cup. And my God, Mick, my God, yeah. yeah, it's savage, isn't it? What a goal! I'm glad. I'm 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 glad that your choice of words is yeah. I, but I'm, I'm glad your 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 choice of words is tremendous. I I just drifted away there. I do have that effect on people. I'm glad that's translating to this podcast as well. <laughs> people just drift away. Anyway, know, describe this goal. This goal. This tell goal. me, Kevin, tell us about this goal. I'm going to use Kevin a bit here now because we've we've got our guests for this and he popped into these other games for us as well because I was blown away by it. I think Kevin was blown away by it as well. Two beautiful moves from Boniak in the build up to this one. Just incredible. This is, this is a, as you say, a beautiful team goal. Started by your man Lato again. Uh, one of those kind of winger, mm-hmm. uh, wide elbow runs that he does. Uh, he's he's only 32 I think at this point in Lato he looks about 82 but anyway that's that's by the by he he gets over halfway line (laughs) plays the ball 
crossfield to the edge of the box. Boniek does a lovely dummy, lets it go past him. The guy that scores the goal, uh, Bunchell, gets the ball, plays it in the penalty area. Boniek running away from goal, back heels it back to Bunchell at the edge of the box, and then takes his time and smacks it in the bottom corner. It is a wonderful goal. Team goal, beautiful, all the best players. And the Polish commentator that I heard describing it mentions Eder and Socrates in his sum up. I'm not great on the old Polish, but I think he was comparing it to the great Brazilian team. I don't want to do Eastern European stereotypes here, Kieran, but that Polish commentator from communism Poland is, I think, crying on air. I think I can hear quivers in his voice. I don't know where that fits into their to their uh, plans on national television. But Are you my sure God. it wasn't Vatican TV you were watching it on and, and the commentator was Pope John Paul II, you know, it the old ex-Polish goalkeeper? Ah, oh, it's beautiful. This is why we rewatch these games. Like a 5 oh, 1 win for Poland over Peru, and you come across this goal, you're like, ah, oh, that was worth it. You've nailed it, Rob. That's it. Like that. That's it, exactly. Like, this is a game. This is a, this is a, that, that's a moment completely lost to history, that goal. And it shouldn't be. It should be rerun the same way that Edera's goal yeah. is rerun yeah. and all and all his other Brazilian goals made too. How this Polish goal is not is not just. Commoner Garden, part of the lexicon almost of football, is it's a shame because it is an absolute screamer. And you know what it does? Like we've talked about halftime pressure on, no goals, going nowhere. Suddenly, when you see a move like that, you go, ah, mm. this is a team that could hit form in the next round. Yeah. You're starting to go, ooh, contenders. It leaves yeah. Italy needing at least a draw against Cameroon to get to the next stage. It wraps things up from a Colonia, I'm sure. I don't know if they have a second round game. They shouldn't really. Well, I'm sure if they did, it was nil-nil. No. <laughs> a Colonia no, is the World I'd, I'd Cup say venue just relieved. for Colin Sheridan, I'd say. <laughs> I think they're probably just relieved that the noise and the this whole this whole atmosphere didn't get so crazy that the cracker bread roof didn't just collapse down on top of them eventually. They got through without <laughs> the ground actually falling down on top of people. I think they'll be relieved. Be happy out. They'll be happy out to move on now and just put it behind them. You know? Mick, imagine if the Scottish fans had been based there. Oh, that would Jesus. Have, oh my God. That would I mean, be dangerous. It would. Very, I mean, it's not, it, it, it's, and I mean this, I don't mean that they would have I don't mean that they would have reduced the place to rubble in, in, in violence, but just the sheer noise of them would have reduced the place to rubble. Just bouncing. I mean, it, just it, it would just would have wrecked the place. But I mean, you know, it's just a terror. It didn't last. That stadium was gone, I think, within 20 years. So there you go. There's where that went. I can confirm it does not play any further part in this World Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sadly missed. Gone, nah. but not forgotten. Come here. We've got such a good game to finish tonight off. We've got to get to game two, which is also a good game. But that's it from Poland. They march on. That's it from Peru. Uh, they march home. Uh, oh, one last footnote. Kieran, Peru fans. Oh, we've talked previously about this is, you know, this is a pretty good Peru team and there's lots of confidence around it. Not least because Tim seems like a confident fella. <laughs> um, but they actually, they're a, they're does he? Hang on. Does he though? Does he look like a confident guy too? This no. is the guy who's taking Kubias off in two matches out of three. That sounds like a fella. Yeah. This I mean, guy is too... Uh, to shake hands with him it, as well. It, it, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, 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 Brazilian nickname would have been Graham. <laughs> That's a fair point, I suppose. Yeah, That's a fair point. But uh, I, found, I found a cracker in shoot. Actually, two things on this game, right? 
Bonyak apparently is no capitalist. Yeah. Anyway, ahead of his move to Juventus, he says that uh, anyone who thinks money will will alter my way of life or my family is wrong. He insists I could never be a bourgeois capitalist. <laughs> I'm sure Juventus on hearing that yeah, would be here. They thought they're getting this guy for a deal. <laughs> They're, they're uh, always the, Peruvians, the guys who end up living in a solid gold house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on the Peruvians, they did have a pl- expectation of making the second round. So much so that on the night of this game, Peru's 5-1 defeat by Poland sent the whole nation into a state of shock. And all the street parties confidently arranged back home in Lima to celebrate Peru's passage into the second round were cancelled at very short notice. After the match had finished, the streets remained empty, silent and about as cheerful as a graveyard. Manager Tim could only accuse his more experienced World Cup campaigners of going to pieces after Poland's opening goal. But for 550 Peruvian fans who'd made the long trip to Spain, the news was even worse, as they discovered after the game that their travel agents had made no arrangements for them to return home. Oh, God. (laughs) Confidently expecting the team to cruise into the second round, they hadn't bothered to book plane tickets, and when they finally woke up to the sad fact that Peru's World Cup campaign had finished, they found that there (laughs) there were no seats available. Now there are 550 miserable-looking Peruvians wandering dejectedly around the streets of Acarona. Is there anything? Is there anything? Is there anything more dispiriting than the sight of a miserable-looking Peruvian? I don't think so. They're a joyous race. They're a joyous nation. <laughs> Reduced to that. Right. Moving on. Game two. Belgium one, Hungary one. Mick, this was a real, like it was a night of World Cup drama. Hungary, put Belgium, Hungary getting ahead. It looked like they were going through. So much drama. Belgium, somehow, dig it out. Yeah, like this, I, it ends one all, um, gets Belgium through nicely. Hungary go home. Slightly, un, slightly unfortunate, slightly unlucky for them. They've had a decent World Cup. I mean, obviously, the 10-1 mm-hmm. against El Salvador. Stands the test of time. They got caught. They got caught on under the wheels of Maradona in the last in the, in the last round. Didn't mean they were a bad team. Would have happened to anybody. But like they they try might and main in this one. Um, and it's a, it's kind of like when I when I was looking at the fixture list, went Belgium Hungary. I was like, oh my god, I could actually nearly feel the headache coming on before I even. Start. It, you kind of just felt it's one of these like middle European sort of World Cup ties that's going to be just like watching paint dry. And for the first 20 minutes, it is pretty horizontal. It's crab soccer. It's back and forth sideways, scuttling across the field. There's not a whole lot happening. But then it starts to get a bit of shape and the Hungarians really get into it. Um, and it gets to go. It's it's It starts, it starts, to, it starts to happen. Vargas. Like they are complete. Great goal. Yeah, great goal. Um, 27 minutes in. It's kind of, balls kind of, it's, I wouldn't say dithering, but there's a kind of a group of Belgians and a couple of Hungarians. And the ball is about 35 yards from goal. And it's kind of like one of those moments where Vargas goes, fuck this for a game of soldiers. I'm taking this. And he just runs onto the ball, skates through about three Belgian defenders into the box and smashes it past uh, 
path. Smash being a, a good word to um, to associate with 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 the Belgian goalkeeper in this match. We'll come to that in a second. But like by that stage, the Hungarians could have been two up because I think they were robbed of a penalty after eighteen minutes. And it's a night where mm-hmm. penalties that are not given are crucial, and particularly when you're trying to get through to a second round of a World Cup and you're you're kind of fighting from the back. Because I mean. I got, again, and this comes back to kind of not having the games on at the one time in the group. My brain was wrecked. I didn't know who was going where. Like, I, I reckon, okay, Belgium are through. and hung, So it's kind of Hungary versus Argentina, really, for the next spot. But, like, the Belgians come out and they give it socks. They really do. Um, there's near misses. There's chances, blah, 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 blah. But the two big things that occur, um, and again, we only spoke about this recently, about goalkeepers and flying out and all, all the rest of it. Minute into the second half, cross into the Belgian box and Faf comes out uh, to gather the ball. But Eric Herritz, their right back, is there as well. And he smashes into Herritz, his hip on Herritz's head and leaves him. Oh, two key men, like two key men. You know, the goalkeeper is, I mean, Faf is, is one of the best in the world at this moment. And Eric Herritz, as you say, mm. key man. Herritz is out cold. Like you can see, he's gone. Yeah. And they get him up and it's that sort of... You know, it's like what you don't see anymore. Like the sponge is produced and lads are kind of going, all right, are you all right? And the, and the manager, <laughs> Guy Tees, of course, puffing on a cigar, and, you know, known for puffing on it, comes over and he nearly blows smoke in his face. Like, are you all right? Are you all right? Are you good? Are you good? They bring Herrits off for a couple of minutes and they send him back on, the poor fecker. That's the concussion test. Cigar smoke in his face. But like he lasts, he lasts about fifteen minutes, and he actually Harris plays quite well. I would imagine he remembers nothing of it. So that's you know, so that occurs. Uh, in the meantime, they carry on, and Belgium are genuinely looking to get back into this game. About 23, 24 minutes left, though. Um, one of the Hungarian players, Fazekas, who's had a very, very good game on the right hand side. He actually plays in Belgium as well with. Uh, I think it was Antwerp, I think. Um, but he's clean through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our friend Faf comes out again, out of the box, feet first, takes Fazekas out of the knees. And like he's just left prone on the ground. It's a free kick to Hungary, but that's all it is. And you're looking at it thinking, good God, you know? I mean, we spoke about Tony Schumacher already uh, coming out and doing, you know, volleying the ball away, taking out Paul Breitner, his own defender. Uh, in the last game against Chile, this is a this is a recurring theme, and it, it kind of it brings yeah. you back because you know, like twenty in the twenty first century, we're just so used to goalkeepers playing out from the back. You know, they're athletic and they're all this. When you're watching these matches from the early eighties, it's a very different game. It's a much more physical affair being a goalkeeper. They're also, I think, they're smaller, and they're you know, it's just a, it's just so totally and utterly different. There's a troop of crazy goalkeepers in this tournament. Like people with no regard for their health or the health of those around them. It they're like it's like you placed Formula One drivers of the era between the sticks. Like they just don't care <laughs> what damage they do. And I mean, then you kind of think about it and you go, like, there's always been this thing, even you know, the old Brian Glanville children's book, goalkeepers are different. But you go back to like Bert Troutman playing an FA Cup final with a broken neck. They are a different breed. Mm. And it's never been yeah. more obvious than in this tournament. Like I think Eric Garrett had a broken neck after that flipping incident, to be honest. I don't think it was just concussion. There had to be bones involved in that situation. Mother of God. This is over The goal, the, the Belgium goal, Mick. Whew. Talk us through it. I mean, it's one of those like, boom, energy. 
And it's all about the guy who makes the assist, really. Well, it's a good finish, yeah. too. No, it is. It is. And funny enough, the man you were talking about who makes the assist is Jan Kuhlemans, who uh, I think we may have mentioned him before. He's kind of like a thinking man's Tony Cascarino. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's a bit more stylish. And, uh, uh, you're correct, absolutely. A thinking man's Frank Stapleton, that's what we said. But he is noticeably um, quiet in this match. So he's in the game, but he's not really threatening as an attacking force. But by God, as you say, Rob, when it comes to it, does he do it? It's a 40-yard run. He just decides, I'm off. Get the ball and off he goes. And it's a brilliant run. All the way into the Hungarian box. Cuts it back inside. Cuts back inside the last defender who goes flying. And he squares it back to... Alex Czerniecki. Thank you. Czerniecki. 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 I think he was still around at USA 94. This guy's got staying power. Oh, he's got staying power. He does. He does. I think he played... He might have played the UEFA Cup final for Parma or something like that. Anyway, Czerniecki or... Square to him, and he finishes it. Chernitinsky actually had a very good game, but the keeper could have saved it. Like the keeper had a very good game, Masaros for Hungary, but he could have saved us when it went through his hands. But anyway, be that as it may, mm. one all. You couldn't say the Belgians weren't value for the one all, but the Hungarians did a lot of did a lot of very good performers, and I think they they went they went home disappointed. But can I just revert back to um, the Fazekas foul if if I can? Because as I said before, like he was actually he was in Belgium, and funny he actually lived quite close to Jean Marie Faf, and he was quoted many years later making this point. He said, "Faf and I live pretty close to each other in Antwerp. When we meet, he always laughs and says how nice he was for being careful not to break my leg, and I actually owe him a debt for that, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know." The Hungarians, on a more serious right. note, make the point that if Faf had been sent off for that, it's unlikely that Belgium would have got the goal, and it's more likely that Hungary could well have. Well, certainly, in that at that night, they would have been looking at going through to the second round of the World Cup. One other thing, sorry, I know I'm rabbiting on here, but just before I forget, the referee, Clive White from England, Kieran. I know we've we kind of been casually saying, but I think it's time now to actually start making Let a list of referees. Guess. Yeah, have a go. One hit wonder, one hit wonder by any chance. More or less, yeah, more or less. He's another referee who doesn't ref after this World Cup. So, like, he's clearly missed oh, the Uh That's a blunder. That's a complete blunder. But it seems the reasons for him leaving football are more to do with a civil case he was involved in. Um, I, to be, I'll be brutally honest, I haven't done enough digging yet to actually go into the details of it. I don't want to get us on the wrong side. So, But essentially, he has to leave he has to leave refereeing in July of 82. And that's the end of him. But look, the Belgians go on. Hungarians are, I would say, a slight loss to the tournament. I think Group A in the second stage is taking shape now. Unless Italy are going to perform a miracle tomorrow against Cameroon. We're looking at Poland and Belgium in Group A of the second stage. Being joined, surely, 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 Kevin Corcoran. By Scotland. You would think, wouldn't you? Soviet Union to Scotland to. Half time. It's all looking good. At 55 minutes into the game. I, I watched this game and I had to step away after 55 minutes for something. And I was walking away going, this is all set up for Scotland. They're playing brilliantly well. The, the, the Soviets are really struggling to get into their groove. We're good to go. Good to go. I mean, yeah, game three. The game you've all been waiting for, I think. Here, okay. contest. A couple of big things with the Scottish team. Joe Jordan is in. Asa Hartford is out. Kenny Dalgleish not included again. 
Mick loves a good old Dalgleish-based conspiracy theory. What do you think is the story there, Mick? I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I don't understand. He's not even on the bench. No. No, I was first, I was first up to say when he came on against Brazil in the second game, he didn't play so well. But I find it amazing that he's not here. So Asa Hartford doesn't start, who replaced Dalgleish against Brazil. But now they've taken him out and they start Joe Jordan, which... And Joe Jordan's playing at AC Milan at this stage. Like he's, you know, he's still got plenty to offer. And it goes back to, I think it was you made the point, Karen, or maybe it was you, Kevin. Like they have great striking options at this point, Scotland. So, and to be fair, um, Jordan has a terrific game for the time he's on the field. But I am still bewildered. Uwe Dalglish. Uwe Dalglish. Ah, bon ami, I have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please tell us. According to Kenny, anyway, and this is from his. autobiography when I was left out the papers printed the usual rubbish there you go you bad bad journalists Dalgleish wrote in his 1997 book this time alleging that I stormed out of the dressing room that was nonsense I left Scotland's dressing room to hand the players tickets to their guests I was going off on errands for the team not in a huff I went back to the dressing room to help the players change their studs There was no demonstrations of anger. I never let it show, but inwardly I was disappointed, not just because Jock had dropped me, but because of the manner in which he did it. It would have been courteous for him to have explained why he was dropping me. Some people thought it was the end of my Scotland career, but I never did. I was hardly in decline. Jock was the manager and he made the decisions. He had made enough decisions that were beneficial to Kenny Dalgleish. I love it when a player talks about themselves in the third person. <laughs> for me to know he did what he felt for the, was for the best of the team. I had a lot to thank him for. He never gave me a reason, but then he never gave me a reason when he picked me for my old firm debut at Ibrox either. There you go. Classic Dalgleish. He's always doing it for the team, in fairness. But like... It was just a, it was just an unusual thing in, in one of the in one of the biggest games in Scottish football history. He was thirty one years of age. Like he's you know, notwithstanding the fact as I say he doesn't seem to have been in the best form of the World Cup. But um, can I, I think you know what it might just be useful, Kevin, if you could help us out on this, right? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people are listening. They will know the history of Scotland in World Cups, right? But. Just for anyone who doesn't, just to put it in context, right? 74 and 78, they, they also went into, well, 78, they didn't. But, you know, the last game of the group has always had enormous resonance and importance for Scotland. So can you can you kind of just describe where, what they needed in 74, the steel in 78, and what they're looking at again now in 82? So 74, we're in a group with uh, Brazil, who are the reigning champions, the greatest team ever, 1970, all that sort of stuff. And we hammer Brazil nil-nil. We hammer them nil-nil. Maybe he hits the bar. Billy Brendan misses a chance from about a yard out. We hammer them nil-nil. Uh, now, in 74, we only beat Zaire 2-0. Zaire mm-hmm. then lose mm-hmm. 9-0 against Yugoslavia. <laughs> now, Zaire are also coached by a Yugoslavian, but that's... You can take the history. Okay. And Brazil right. then beat Zaire on the last game 3-0, and Scotland draw with Yugoslavia 1-1, and we go out by virtue of one goal. Oh. So the fact that we only beat Zaire 2-0 was the reason that we went out. And also, I would say oh, to you, in that game against Yugoslavia in 74, a young Joe Jordan scores his first World oh. Cup goal. That's forward. Right. So goal difference. Goal difference. So goal one difference goal in 74. To Brazil, who were the World Cup holders. And that's after we okay. hammered them nil-nil. I'll repeat that one more time. <laughs> uh, 1978. We go and think we're going to win the bloody thing and it all goes crashing down. 
I was glad when you mentioned there about the Peruvian fans being all upset after they get knocked out. Karma's a bitch, yeah. There you go. Anyway. They'll never let 78 go, Rob. They'll no, never no, let no, 78 no. go. <laughs> 78, 78 uh, Scotland play Peru in the first match. Joe Jordan again scores in the World Cup in 78 against Peru. Uh, we miss a crucial penalty at 1-1 and lose 3-1. We then draw with Iran, which is the lowest point of all. Ali McLeod, head and hands, all that sort of stuff. Train spotting's coming yeah. up now. And there we go. Here comes train spotting. <laughs> and then uh, Archie Gemmel. Kendall Gleish first. Archie Gemmel, bing, bing, bing. 3-1. One goal away from knocking Holland out yeah. of the World Cup. All of that. And oh, then my God. It's straight being Scottish as Johnny Rep hits the ball from the halfway line and beats uh, the flying pig that is Alan Ruff. And out we go, 3-2. We lose <laughs> a goal difference to Holland who are goal difference and should have won the final. We lose to Holland by two goals, and uh, sorry, three goals goal difference, and we're out on goal difference again. So goal difference is done for us twice, and here we are. 1982, we beat New Zealand 5-2, we lose to Brazil 4-1. We go into this last game knowing that we must beat the Russians. A good draw is not enough. And the two goals we lost against New Zealand are the crucial thing that will come back to bite us in the arse. Yeah, again, and, and and I'd say I'd say all the Scottish fans were delighted when their a go a good luck charm appeared in the crowd to watch the game with them. The one and only Johnny Rep on holidays for the World Cup decided. Oh my god! That he would mix with the pride of Scotland and watch the game with them. A uh, couple of things leading into this game. Jockstein did give consideration to another major change in the team. Yeah, he was going to drop Alan Ruff. He was very unhappy with his response to the Seco free kick, not least as we described in the previous episode, because they'd spent hours that day practicing. <laughs> and and he, he was determined not to pick his second choice goalkeeper, but his third, an uncapped goalkeeper by the name of Jim Layton. Jim Layton, like wow! Now he's dissuaded from that decision by his assistant the renowned manager of Dundee United, Jim McLean dissuading from that on the basis that it could affect Leighton. Leighton later says in his own autobiography that he thinks it would have had he had to play in that game, that it would have affected him uh, assuredly. Now, all of that aside, this is a magnificent Scottish performance. The only thing that deters them from winning this, in my opinion, is the brilliance of Reynat Dasiev and I have to say it, some questionable refereeing by someone who is not a one-hit wonder. He's a renowned referee from Romania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just got a sense like there was a couple of throw-ins in the first half that should have gone to Scotland that he yeah. gave to the Soviets. Now, it's alluded to in one of the commentaries, you know, that he speaks Russian and is that yeah. having an influence and all that? There was a, there's also, there's a penalty shout. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There, there is a, it's a penalty after 24 minutes. It's a clear handball by a Soviet defender. I think it was Sergei Baltica, can't be 100%, but it was a clear penalty on the replay. The commentary that we would have seen, I think we all probably saw it was Barry Davis and Jimmy Hill. And Jimmy Hill makes the point that, okay, so it's coming, it happens as the defender is faced towards his own end line. So the ball hits his hand 
the people behind the crowd behind the behind the goal can see it, but the referee is possibly blindsided. So it's up to the linesman who doesn't make the call. But it is a penalty. You'd imagine when Sergei Baltaka ends up at St. Johnston many moons later that every single fan he bumps into is the Jandal ball. <laughs> no doubt about it. But I mean, it was it was magnificent. And it's not, and you know, I, I'd be very curious to know, Kevin, what the feeling was in, in Scotland after this. I'll throw this to you in a second, but just to, for what it's worth saying, because I mean, you know, it's easy to be patronizing and stuff, you know, and we're 40 years later, you know, it's, it's a long time back, but you know, it really, really was magnificent. I mean, I thought coming into this tournament that the first half against Brazil would be the peak for Scotland in this World Cup, that that performance would be the one. But I think for 60 minutes, more or less 60 minutes against the USSR, they were outstanding because I've really enjoyed watching the USSR in this tournament. Their attacking play and their their, their technical quality is superb. The Scots, the Scots short-circuited all that, but then pl- played themselves as well. And Joe Jordan, who comes in, has a terrific match. For the, a terrific first half. Scores a great goal. And it, it's just, it's just that combination. I don't, I don't know. I'll come back to the thing later, but it's just because I want to know what Kevin, what, what the feeling was in Scotland. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful performance. You're saying Joe Jordan there, as I mentioned there, Joe scored goals of 74 and 78, and then he scores the goal here to put us 1-0 up. But before that, he has this kind of glancing header thing from about 12 yards out, which the goalkeeper makes an amazing save on, which is definitely... Brilliant save. It's almost behind him when he saves it. It's an amazing save. But then we get the goal... I think the Russian captain made the mistake, hits the ball, terrible control. Stevie Archibald nips in. Yeah, makes yeah. Stevie Archibald yeah. nips in, gets it forward, and Joe Jordan, and he goes, no teeth, ball in the net, big crazy smile. We're off and running. Love a celebration, Kevin. We're on our way. Love a celebration. Oh, it's like, Just it's running like, out with hands up in the it's air. It's like the angriest man. It's the angriest celebration you'll ever see, but it's great with the no teeth. and <laughs> ah, That's why we call him God. He's like the man from the, the Bond movie. You can actually lip read what he's saying. Like he's coming out toothless. And he's like, hey, yeah, fucking yeah. It's brilliant. It's it's fantastic. But it's not just the goal. As you've alluded to, like Scotland are completely in control of this match. Gordon Strachan is causing the mayhem on the right hand side. Uh, but Kevin, can I jump in for a sec? It's it's the attitude. It's the way Scotland are set up in this entire game. There's times, like the amount of times I can count that Sunas has the ball and there's at least four Scottish players in front of him. Like it's it's a tremendous way to play football and it was a really aggressive game plan. It it a great squad to pick from in 82, probably our best squad ever. When you think of players that won the European Cup, but no Liverpool lads, uh, Man Evans from Aston Villa, uh, Archie Ball was doing well with Tottenham. The Aberdeen and Dundee United lads that are about to peak in Europe for their own clubs. This is our this is our golden gem. This is our best team, really. And as you say, as soon as he gets the ball, he looks up. He's got John Robertson, twice European Cup winner, on the left hand side. Gordon Stratton, our best player attacking wise, on the right hand side. He's got Stevie Archibald in front of that, and Joe Jordan. And if he's struggling, John walks to take the ball off him and start passing the ball as well. They're a great side going forward. But as always with us, it's not the going forward that's the problem. It's the better <laughs> Why are you saying oh, that? Man. Did something happen? I want to talk about the positives first. We don't get positives. <laughs> uh, no, in the first half, Stratton's amazing. Archibald is a shot save. That Joe Jordan header as well. 
There's another Joe Jordan, great turn and shot edge of the box. We're completely in control of this game. Half-time 1-0. Could have been two. Could have had the penalty. We're, we're completely in control of this game and we're going to go through for the first time. We're going to get through the group and it's all going to be good. And we're going to probably be in a group next if we get through with the likes of Poland, who are kind of our level. You're dreaming ahead of yourself and thinking, this could be fantastic. And then... And then... But before that, I think there was a critical instant five minutes in and I come back to refereeing performance. There's mm-hmm. no way Graham Sooners should be getting a yellow card for questioning a foul on a Scottish player, which is what happens. Now, if Scotland are going to dominate this game for 90 minutes, they need the aggressive Graham Sooners in midfield. And they can't get that because he's on a yellow for most of the game. But, but well, in saying that, paradoxically, there is a game soon as challenge on Oleg blocking about 20, 10 minutes in, which should, in the, today's game would be a red card. He went right through him. Blocking managed to just jump out of the way and have a shot. And I think Barry Davis is afterwards, I think Blocking may have picked up a bit of a knock there from Game Sunnis. It's like an exocet missile. <laughs> Flew up and we both feet off the ground. I think Barry Davis actually adds to it. He says something like, uh, I think Sunnis bit him like a shark. Or he got a bite. It's like a bite from a shark. It was brutal. But funny you should mention, mention Blocking because in the middle of all of this, all this, of this fog that the Soviets find themselves in, um, blocking is the only one who's trying to find a trying to shine a light to get them out of it. And I do think like it in the second half, first five minutes of the second half, Scotland are one up at halftime. They come out, they have another shot. Um, you know, everything looks good, but blocking has a chance, and it's blocked by David Neary. Now it's it's a thing of nothing in some respects, but it was just the first hint of something with the Soviets. It was a very good move put together. And suddenly they're starting to, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why it happens that Scotland start to lose that battle in midfield. Maybe it's something to do with what Kieran said. Maybe Sunes is pulling back a little bit because he does kind of, compared to the influence he has for 45 minutes, he's not quite the influence for about, it's on, we're only talking 10, 15 minutes that he was previous, but the Soviets start to throw passes together. It's not like they're, they're still not dominating, but they're playing better and they're getting closer to the quality that they can reach. And you start to get a bit twitchy for the Scots, when the Soviets are starting to play the ball, they're dancing around, playing, weaving pretty patterns at the edge of the box. And you're going, oh, Jesus, no. Because, like, I mean, they could have been three up. I would have said if Scotland had been three up at halftime, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been ridiculous. No, but, like, in that, it's in that period that, like, Shivadze pops up and gets, probably redeems himself, to be fair, because he's made a mistake earlier on for the Jordan goal. Um, and that's got them. And remember, they only need a draw. So they could have sat on this. And just just one word, just one word on the on the goal, the Shabadze goal. And it's kind of reflective of where the Soviets were in the game. Who sets it up but our old friend Gavrilov, who I had, did not really know before this tournament, and he caught my eye against Brazil in the first game, and he's been catching my eye ever since. He's not in this game. But he kind of brings the ball towards the Scottish box. Scott, back off him a little bit, but not fatally back off him, but with Gavrilov, it could be fatal. And he just plays a little, a couple of little passes, has a shot. It's it's blocked, half blocked by a collection of Scots and Shavadze finishes it. But it's just significant, I think, that it's Gavrilov who has done nothing in the game, you know? And and the next thing, they're one all. Yeah, on, on the goal, uh, Alan Hansen kind of gets caught in the middle of that little, little, little triangle pass around him and he's kind of standing at the edge of the box going, oh God, they're by me. 
And then Damien Airy, God bless him, is trying his he think he's three goes to try to clear the ball. And finally, Shavadze, as you say, just blacks in. And it's 1-1. And suddenly all the good work is done. And you can see the further the game goes, the more panic we get and all that sort of stuff. There's a Demienko shot just wide. And then he's that great free kick, which Ruffy almost puts in his own goal. And you can just sense the panic and the dread and all the bad stuff is coming back again and again. And it's always goal difference. And we're almost always there. And all those things are going through all the players' heads. And now the jerseys with the lining are getting heavy again. <laughs> <laughs> it's another hot night in Malaga. Exactly, yeah. Kevin, I have a question for you. Gordon Strachan going off after 71 minutes. I don't know. I'm like, I mean, I'm only watching the game back. Love Gordon Strachan. One of my favorite players of all time. And I only saw him as a very, very young kid. Uh, I think he's brilliant in this tournament. He even said himself afterwards he thought it was his best game. Why does he go off? What am I missing? Was it the right call? Yeah, I don't know. That's a very good question. I think Jimmy Hill actually questions it as well, which pains me to agree with him as well. Uh, yeah, I think he goes on about how he can't understand why they brought Danny McGrain on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that, like That's an unusual thing. Alan Brazil comes on as well, doesn't he? So uh, It's Alan Brazil. It's double substitution, so it's, uh, it's Brazil for Jordan. And, so that's you can see that. That's and, exciting. And McGrain for striking. Maybe he was injured. I was actually looking, when you when you talked about Sunnis being booked early, I was looking at the bench. And you only make two subs, right, in those days. So there's no midfielder in that on the bench. There's no midfielder to come in and replace anybody. So Danny McGrain's a, a defender. Alan McLeish is a centre-half. Uh, Brazil's a striker, and so is Paul Sturrock. So there's no midfield player in that, in that on the bench there. There's no Asa Hartford to come in if you had a problem and all that sort of stuff. But there's other players around the place that can play, and I'm not going to, for a second, start questioning Jock Steen's tactical acumen. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and I certainly don't. But my point is, like, it is an odd substitution to bring. When you need to get the goal, you take off one of your more attacking players and bring on another right back. But anyway. Can I can I posit that he's, because of the panic we've just described, he's bringing on his captain to try and cool things down and just bring a little bit of calm? Maybe, but I wouldn't be taking Gordon Stratton off in that sense. John Wart might have been the best shout, but anyway, um, again, who the hell am I to be questioning Jock Steen? Jeez, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the main Hansen thing is William Miller and Alan Hansen yeah. <laughs> okay, you've queued that up nicely. So, why why do you think there might have been a substitution required for Alan Hansen? So, what so, went wrong? So, when we all played football when we were aged six, seven, and eight, the first thing you're told if you're playing defense is you clear your lines, right? If in doubt, get it out. That's what we were always told in the kind of samba soccer style of uh, Glasgow that I was brought up in. So, <laughs> there's a long ball played down the line. Alan Hansen is in a bit of a wrestle with the Russian forward. Willie Miller has complete sight of the ball. He's running towards the ball. It's his ball. But somehow, Alan Hansen and him get too close together and decide that they'll both hit each other rather than the ball. And the Russian forward sneaks away and has a 20-yard run in on goal. And you just know when he gets the ball and he runs in on goal that Alan Ruff is frantically backpedalling from the edge of the box and really has no chance of making that save. And you know before he hits it that it's going to go in. That's the thing I wondered watching it because Alan Ruff first comes off his line. <laughs> I wonder if he'd done a Jean-Marie Faf. Yeah. In the tradition of the lunatic goalkeepers, would Scotland be progressing to the next round? 
Yeah, and you're talking about the dodging referee, and like, he might not have been sent off for doing that. He might just have got a booking or a telling off. I'd, I'd say a sharp telling off. It just comes back to that that Scottish thing. Like, you can see it from behind the goals, the replay. Ruff runs out, but then somewhere along the way, I'm not going to say he loses his nerve, but he has second thoughts, and he starts to backpedal. And Kevin, it's at that moment where I think he loses his bearings. He actually shows uh, Shengelia inside. So Shengelia is the striker. He's coming in off the left wing. And he's coming in towards goal. And the way Ruff shapes himself, he actually shows Shengelia towards the centre of the box. He's gone down. He's gone down before Shengelia even hits the ball. And then he just, Shengelia just rolls it into the net. It's catastrophic in every single way. And, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, it, it, does it ignite the debate or was the debate already going on? Like Alan Hansen obviously had was just starting a really, really storied career with Liverpool. Well, it was it was ongoing a while, actually, at that stage, in fairness. Um, but, you know, Willie Miller was there, obviously, with Aberdeen. And there was this kind of debate, should it be both of them together or them on their own? Um, but this really this really set fire to that one, didn't it? Well, Alan, Alan Hansen suffers from the thing that all of those great players from Liverpool suffer from, apart actually from Sunis, and that people always feel that they never did as good for Scotland as they've done for their club. Like even Kenny, Kenny Dalglish, mm. over 100 mm. caps, joint record goal scorer, 30 goals. My footballing hero, the best Scottish player ever, in my opinion. But loads of the Tartan Army, even then, were saying, ah, he never does it for us. He's always great for Liverpool. He's yeah. scoring goals in European Cup finals, but he never does it for us. But that's because he was playing with players for Scotland who weren't as good as the guys he's playing with for Liverpool. He was making passes and guys playing for Scotland weren't ready or bright enough or quick enough to get to the pass that he was making. So it made him look bad or look worse in that light. And Hansen was the same. Hansen was one of those, ah, oh, he's a bit airy-fairy, he's all these nice touches and skills, but he's no the typical hard man Scottish centre-half that is part of our DNA. Whereas Willie Miller is no-nonsense, get it, get rid, job done. And that great Aberdeen team were founded on Willie Miller Alec McLeish, and to be fair to him, Jim Leighton behind them. That three were the kind of cornerstone of Fergie's team that went on to win the Cup Winners' Cup the next year. Uh, I think the thing about when Dalglish or Hansen, were particularly Dalglish, when they were playing for Liverpool, somebody else could pick up the slack. Like if you were doing your opposition analysis, you were going, right, well, we've got to watch Keegan as well. We've got to watch another player. They're surrounded by players that will attract the attention of the opponents. When he played for Scotland very often, mm. he's the guy that they're going, we're going to hammer that hammer. Let's let's do Kenny Dalglish. And that probably is why he hasn't, you know, there might be a perception that he hasn't had a as storied a Scotland career. But, like, they still, after a soccer blow like that, get up off oh, the ground yeah. and go again. Yeah, and soon as his goal is like, like you were saying about Dasayev making the great saves from other attempts, as soon as his goal is, like, it's, he couldn't put any further in the corner of the net if he tried. It has to post and goes in. And at this point, there's still three or four minutes left. And suddenly, it's 2-2. And I remember as a, as a, a, like a visceral memory as a child, as, as my 11-year-old self staring at this TV. When that goal went in, I was jumping around the living room going, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Because suddenly, 
all the momentum that we'd lost, we now had it back. And it was three minutes to go. And it was, it's, he gets the goal. Danny McGinn kind of starts from in the face celebrating. And you can see he's going, get the bloody ball. Go. Get it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get the winner. And we all suddenly yeah. were all behind them again yeah. for that last three mad minutes. Just something's just popped into my head, Kevin. Um, would your folks at that moment, when that goal went in, would they have been worried that you might be going to do more damage to the interior of the house? If my memory serves me right, you had an encounter with something during the Brazil game, didn't you? Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, I pulled the curtain rail off the wall and Danny Vinay scored. No, no, it was okay. Everything was tied <laughs> down by this stage. Spring film was over the sofa. It was all good. It was fine. They've no actually taken down all the curtain yeah, rails. Yeah, yeah. For there, was no, there was only the one curtain rail in the house. We were in that posh, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what? One curtain rail, so you moved around to whatever window you needed at a given time <laughs> yeah the big window or the other non-window yeah exactly and, and and the final indignity comes considering we've had a couple of fairly serious injuries in this game Nikolai Rania the Romanian referee plays a minuscule amount seconds. of additional he plays time. seconds that's a feature that's a feature there's not a lot of injury time played in, in games yeah. it's something that we're now used no, to right. three or four or five minutes but then it was just like if you got 30 seconds you were doing well I, I don't want to reduce I mean, we, we can't reduce that last few minutes so like Thunes Thunes' goal by the way is brilliant he goes past two defenders at the edge of the Soviet box oh, and, and then finishes like beautiful. Kevin describes but I mean it's a beautiful, brilliant goal then they come back and it's the Soviets are trying to disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. There's definitely two or three minutes, as you said, injury time. But like it's pandemonium in the so in the Soviet box for the last minute. Balls are flying across, they're getting, getting scrambled clear away. I think there's a penalty call. I think there's another handball by the Soviets in the last second. I think there's a penalty to Scotland, not given. Like all you have to, it's not hard for anybody who's not Scottish, it's not hard to put yourself into the, this this space. Just imagine your own team desperately clawing for a goal and feeling like they might get it and they're playing well enough that they could actually pull this around and it, it like I was even though you know the result I was enthralled to the last second um, I was nearly shouting at the at, at the screen you know um, it's yeah. incredible and it's a, it's a, it distills the entire Scottish performance in that last five minutes my dad was involved with a, a local amateur team at that level a club called a team called Clellan Miners uh, and they were like, the last two minutes of that game is like watching a Clellan Miners game, an amateur game at that level. Because you get the goal to go two two, and suddenly the last few minutes there are no tactics. It's get the ball to the guy out wide and pump it into the penalty area and hope you get a knockdown. And see when it comes back out, pump it back in again. It's just it's like the Alamo for the last two minutes. It's like get the ball any way you can into that box. And hopefully we'll get a bit of luck, or hopefully Stevie Archibald will get a shot, or hopefully it'll hit Alan Brazil's backside, or whatever it'll be, it'll hit the net, and it just doesn't quite come off. Or hopefully it would have fallen to the man from Cleland, Joe Jordan. Yeah, but he's sadly gone by that stage, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing, you know. You wonder about that's where the like the Alan Brazil substitution, Mm. like Jockstein had felt that he wasn't fit enough to start in previous games because he was in red hot form for Scotland in the year before this. 
and he'd had a great season with Ipswich, but he'd he'd forgotten including him in in the two games before that. But for Joe Jordan, Joe Jordan has said since that he felt all the way through that Jock had a plan for him against the Soviets, that they were practicing in a way leading into the third game that he knew he was going to get his start. So you just think if he'd held his nerve, and again, who am I to question the greatest Scottish manager of all time, but if he'd held his nerve and maybe left Joe Jordan on the field, he might have been the one that could have got those chances and put them away. Maybe, but it's like, like, if you think Joe Jordan's storied Scotland career, three goals in three different World Cups, which is an amazing achievement. You'd go a long way to find a player, you're talking about Lato earlier for the Poles, you go a long way to find a player that has a longevity of career that plays in three World Cups and scores in three different World Cups. And he took his goal fantastically in this game too. Yeah, and three of his 11 goals all time. I have some quotes from Jock Steen. Kieran, will I give them or do you want to jump in there? No, I just wanted to come in on, again, I'm resorting back to shoot, but Danny McGrain had a column throughout. Right. And again, we've just talked about Joe Jordan's three World Cups. This is Danny McGrain's third as well. And he reveals in the aftermath of the match that uh, it's his final. He tells Jock Steen, Jock Steen says, please don't tell the press. You know, I might still need you for a couple of internationals in the early part of next season while we change things around. And he's just going, no, there's no half measures. I've done my time. But in his column, he says, well, well, the dream is over. I'll never have the chance to play in a World Cup finals again. The lads felt we did really well in Spain in the toughest group of the lot, but it still wasn't enough. To go out in three successive World Cup finals on goal difference is both shattering and sickening, especially when you think we were eliminated having scored eight goals while others went through in their group after getting a miserly two. We only have ourselves to blame, though. Hands up. I must confess I was as guilty as anyone. The two killer goals were the ones we conceded. No threw away against New Zealand. Those goals cost us dearly because neither Russia nor Brazil gave anything away against the Kiwis and that's what counts in World Cup finals. And that is the that is the that's the thing. That's the those are the goals that kill us off. And even the fantastic Mr Barry Davis says that in his final commentary. He says the goals versus New Zealand were so important. And he's right. That is the that's the killer. We scored five goals in the World Cup game. But the two we gave away were the crucial moment. Here, here's some quotes from Jock Steen, just to tidy something up first. Uh, those who, who have seen Dog Leash play know why he wasn't in the squad tonight. The substitutes were specifically picked to do a job. And he goes a bit further down. McLeish was in there to cover midfield, interestingly. Uh, we knew Strachan would be coming off. The wee man can only do so much. And he did all that we expected of him. They're just a few little additional kind of explainers, if you like, from where he was thinking. But there's a quote at the top of the piece with Jock Steen, which is just uh, just, to, just to think of the man and what it meant to him. If I had been alone in the dressing room last night, I would have sat down and cried for the players. And one of the, like, there's a number of players step away after this, other than Danny McGrain, Joe Jordan goes, Alan Evans, I don't think, gets capped again. And he's, you know, it's oh, not, he, was, he, was at fault, he was at fault for the second New Zealand goal. He never played for Scotland again. Yeah, you know, so there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of flux coming here, but one of the more significant ones is Jim McLean steps down as the assistant. Now, most people would probably know one of those that steps up when Jock Steen stays on is Alex Ferguson. Now, at this stage, there's doubt about whether Jock Steen is going to stay on because Motherwell were hoping he would walk away from Scotland and take over there. Jim McLean doesn't seem to have been fully on board with 
big jock and maybe was a little in awe of him. And, and some of the quotes he has are really interesting afterwards. He says, I'm ashamed today of the way I did that job and ashamed that I might have let Jock Steen down after he had shown a great deal of faith in me and my ability as a coach. Quite honestly, I was a disgrace as an assistant manager. And in another book um, by Archie McPherson, he, like, no, sorry, Archie McPherson addresses those claims in, in one of his books, in Adventures in the Golden Age, he said, he, McLean, said that because he did not realise until it was too late that he had not spoken up when he should have about tactics and team selection, he was too much in awe of the man to take issue with him. And because of his own domination of Tanadice, he simply did not know how to handle being a subsidiary. What Scotland gets next is Alex Ferguson as his assistant. And you don't get that kind of subversion, uh, subservience for the next four years. It, it's, it's amazing, really, when you mention all those names, you know, you just think of the, the playing talent, the coaching talent, the presence that they had in that dressing room. This is the moment. This, this was Scotland's moment. If you look at the, like and Kevin mentioned it there a little bit, if you look at what the group that were going to be going into, Poland and Belgium, I would love to have seen Scotland play Poland. I think it would have been an amazing game. And I think the fact that Eric Harris was concussed in this game today and John and John Marie Faffer was also injured. I th- this is a major moment for Belgium in the competition as well. So Scotland would have been beating them depleted. Uh, I I know it sounds crazy. Maybe it doesn't sound crazy, but it sounds like one of those things that that you do in these situations. But they are a World Cup semi final team, Scotland. They're a World Cup semi final team. If they could only have just got past this this game, only issue being, of course, that defensive problem. Willie Miller. You know, spoke a little bit about uh, about the uh, you know in the years afterwards as well about the collision. Of course, he's he's great line. He's a taxi driver still ask him around around Edinburgh and wherever he'd be. Have you bumped into Alan Hansen lately? <laughs> but uh, he does he does kind of make you know he does make the point that he he felt contrary to Kevin's view, he thought that himself and Hansen were too similar to play together. You know, being the the stylish ball player that he was, Willie Miller, um, and also. Just you know, has has expressed frustration, shall we say, at not starting the New Zealand game when Alan Evans did. Um, to be fair, Alan Evans being a European Cup winner, I think you know he's got a fair he's got a fair call to start a game for Scotland in the World Cup. I'm just going to come in on the conversation myself and Kevin had off mic about the strength of Scottish football at the time. Okay, Kevin. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but had there been UEFA club coefficients in 1983, tell me how many Scottish clubs would have been in the top 10? So, uh, 1982 World Cup, uh, the following year, Aberdeen go on and lift the European Cup Winners' Cup and they defeat Real Madrid in the final. And as I said before, they're the last team to have beaten Real Madrid in a European final was Aberdeen, 1983. Eric Black, John Hewitt, it's 40, nearly 40 years ago, uh, under Alex uh, Ferguson. That Aberdeen team were outstanding. But at the same time, in the similar part of Scotland, Dundee United and the aforementioned Jim McLean are doing great things. They win the Scottish League that year in 83. 84, they get to the European Cup semi-final. and 83, they go on a great European run as well. I think I, I saw something on, on Twitter recently that said that... Uh, 1983, once Aberdeen won their semi-final, I think they beat Beveren of, of Belgium. I think they hammered them. Aberdeen were the top-ranked team, club team, in all of Europe. 
United, I think, were fourth or fifth. I think Celtic were eighth. The three Scottish clubs were in the top ten European club rankings of 1983. And that's before you get into the lads that are playing for Liverpool and winning European Cups in 1984. Or the lads playing for Ipswich and Tottenham doing well in Europe and all those fellas. It was an amazing time for for our national team and for our players. And we just couldn't get over the hump. And the last thing I'll say about Miller and McLeish... I was doing a bit of research after it, thinking I, I falsely in my head thought that was the end of, of Alan Hansen in a similar way to Alan Evans. But it wasn't. He played on for a good few years for Scotland. And they actually played together again, Miller and McLeish, in the next Scotland match, a European qualifier against East Germany in October. Uh, so obviously the manager still had great faith in the two of them to play together, even after that catastrophic mistake in Malaga. In fairness, Jockstein fully defends them afterwards as kind of this bizarre incident. He doesn't hang his players out, even though privately, I'd imagine. So some guys came in for some fair criticism. Um, the one thing I would say about the what might have been in this instance, uh, and I, I recall when we did our bonus episode on the Republic of Ireland team in the qualifiers that we said, imagine had they been in the place of Belgium and they been the Belgian in the second round. All comes back to Belgium, doesn't it? Uh, imagine <laughs> it yeah, it does, really. Scotland the Republic of Ireland and Poland in oh. the second round. But I, I would say as well, just on Dalgleish, like he's, he, he says it in it, like he, he wasn't in decline. Some players took time after long club seasons to find their form in this tournament. Paolo Rossi doesn't fire until the next stage. Yeah. Bonyek doesn't fire until the next stage. Platini doesn't fire until the next stage. There is nothing to say that Kenny Dalglish might not have been one of the stars of this tournament from this point on. It's just so yeah. frustrating. I read they really are a loss to the tournament. Like and the thing about Steen, you know, for somebody like myself, like I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a huge Celtic fan. I was a big Celtic fan when I was a kid, and it wasn't really the Irish thing. It was more I just liked the jerseys, and then I learned the Irish thing afterwards. You know that kind of way. But like, I had a book. I remember I had a book that charted every single result for Celtic football club. It was done for the centenary in 1988, so it was all the way back from the beginning to 1988 and Steen is all Steen is all the way through it as a player and a manager and it always intrigued me because because what you read was that Steen was this fantastically progressive attacking and this Celtic team of the 60s that won the European Cup was incredibly attacking and they you know they went out and tried to do it the right way but for me watching Scotland in this the three matches maybe it's a little small insight into what Steen brought to Scottish football in that way because I would feel that Scotland both played and aspired to play in the right way, like throughout this tournament. Whatever yeah. personnel decisions he made, it they went for everything. They really did. And I mean, in this game, they never stopped going for it. And the attitude is so tremendous. The even Barry Davis, Barry Davis, by the way, who has a you know, I mean, it's just a wonderful commentary, lads. It really is to, to listen oh. to him in full flow. But like he yeah. makes every word. Amazing. I mean, we've mentioned him two or three times now. Little things he says. Right, but like he also says, there's a terrific balance to the team, and there really is. You can see there's a craft to putting the team together. Now, Willie Miller complains as well about Jock Steen picking players on form, blah blah blah, because he wanted to stay in with the press, which I just dismiss. He's picking guys, as you said, Kieran. He probably had Joe Jordan in his mind for the Soviets, I would say. But it's just for me, as somebody who was always curious about Jock Steen, and I've read and I've watched plenty of stuff about Shankly and Steen 
and Busby and that generation of Scottish managers and what how they changed football. To see a, a team in the 80s, uh, towards the end of his career and his life, re- reflect the values that he brought to football. It was just a joy. It was just an absolute joy to watch. And I genuinely, genuinely, I'm really, really going to miss him out of, out of this tournament going forward now. This is the 15 years after what you would say is Jock Steen's greatest moment as Celtic manager. Only 15 years, lads. Only and, 15 and, years. And he's evolving constantly as a coach. Like part of, he he's still involving himself in coaching courses, which obviously there was a birth in coach education with UEFA, etc. He's he's friends with Joe Vengloss. He's, you know, they've got this crew. They all hang around together at these conventions. But he, in the, in, in the lead up to this, he was talking about the tactical evolution that he was seeing in the Soviet and the Eastern Bloc teams and how they would adapt to to play to that and formations. And like, this is a man who's still calling every day a school day. And, you know, we, we can't overstate this. He took a team that lived within 12 miles of a stadium and won a European Cup with them. All of them. The thought that he could have replicated that with Scotland, there's no telling what they might have achieved. It's I, I'd be really disappointed going through the rest of this tournament without Scotland in it, I have to say it. All right, final word to Kevin on this. And Kevin, in the lead-in to giving them praise and the wonderful bravery that they were, you know, and there's no question the Soviet Union are a class team. We'll talk more about that. Brazil are Brazil 82. So the worst group is what was said afterwards that Scotland could possibly have had, and it was. But, you know, at the same time, there are going to be people out there saying, listen, was their defence really a top four side? Are you a little bit overselling it as well in that regard? And they did obviously mess up a little bit against New Zealand too. Yeah, like like, like we saying there about, like Jogstein's philosophy was always about attacking like the whole thing of overlapping uh, fullbacks with Jim Craig and Tommy Gemmell all comes from that Celtic 6 or 17. That's, now, the Dutch then adapted that again with total football because Feyenoord then beat Celtic in 17 and I actually took on. But the, the beginnings of that are from that sort of Celtic team, that total football that is of like they can all play football. The, full, the right back and the left back are as important to you as your right wing and your left winger. And that sort of progression and attacking and entertaining football is what Jogs team is all about and that Celtic team is all about and this Scotland team is all about and they were fantastically entertaining and they were brilliant to watch and as I said I remember it as a child when Joe Jordan scored and you think we have a chance and then the Alamo at the end and we're almost getting it done but again as you say we're out on goal difference for the third World Cup in a row and it hurts like hell. Even now, 40 years later, it hurts like hell. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. You're, you're upset. I love you're so much. Because I'm yeah, I thinking, if we got through, the same as you said, Mike, if we got through, we're in a group with Poland and Belgium who are kind of like us, and you get half a chance, <laughs> and you never know. All of those things. So there you go. That's the bottom line. Oh. We'll pick a team today. All 11 Scottish players. Let's leave it at that. Scottish. Um, I don't. I don't. I, to be fair, I don't think we can put Alan Ruff and goals in a game where Rina Dasiev no kept oh. the Scots at bay. No. I think. I think nailed down our goalkeeper on the team of the day is one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time, oh, and amazing. a large part of the reason why Scotland are progressing. Let's go for defenders, and just just two. I'm ruling out straight away. <clears throat> yeah, there's no Miller hands in this team yet. <laughs> I'd st- I'd stake a claim for the uh, the Hungarian right back Martas because he is a terrific game 
in, I, in the I lesser, in the well lesser spot of match oh, of the day. I, I had him in my back three. Wow. Okay. Three, okay. Go on, Kieran. Who else is in that back three? All right, okay. Well, well, do you want me to go through the team and then... And then we, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you get the default team. Oh, yeah. We've got our Hungarian pal. I've got Johan Muse. Yes. Um, Shivadze. That's oh, up for the. I know you got to go, but you yeah, screw up for the first one. I, I like a good redemption story. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you're going to be arguing in the back, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought Borovsky had a good game for the Soviets. I have Sunas in, Bonyak in. I thought Nyalassi was very good for Hungary. And then the three up top, I had Jordan, Lato, and Stevie Archibald. I don't think you can you, you can't rule out the man that scored the goal of the tournament so far. He's got to be in there, isn't he? The Polish lad. Bunchov. 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 He, he, he had the flick yeah. on for the first goal and he had the pass on yes. Boniek's goal as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and right. he he was the guy yeah. who made the amazing run in the first half for the disallowed goal. So yeah. no, he, yeah. definitely should be he has to be in yeah. there. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah. I, I would also make a claim for two other players. Oleg Blokin has to be in the conversation, I think, just for dragging the Soviets along for so long. And Gordon Strachan. Yeah. He had a tremendous uh, well, I'll game. Tell you what, 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 what about we take uh, Mr. Borowski out and we drop in Gordon Kraken? Yay. Yeah. Uh, and how about we put Oleg Block in up top where he belongs with Jordan and Lato? And let's find a place for Mr. Bunchall. Yeah. We'll just stick him on the. Yeah, get Bunchall in. Would we'll you stick him on the left? Out on the left? Instead of Niall Yeah. 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 Sorry. Did you say on the left beside Kubilias? Is that what you said? Because yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Just say Kubilias. Justice. So give us, Kieran, give us that 11. So give us that 11. All right. So Dasayev, Dasayev Martos, Johan Muse, Ayat Shavadzi, you were going to question that, boys. You want to? Uh, oh, have we room for one more uh, defender? Hmm. I was struggling for a centre half. I'd be like, wasn't a great day for centre for centre halves, really. Really, really wasn't. But stop <laughs> no. rubbing it in. And then we're saying Strachan, Sunas, Bonyak, Bontal, Black and Jordan, Lasso. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Stop, Kevin. Don't question it. Kevin, don't even question it. <laughs> Stop. Three, four, three. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put we'll put Theophila Kubias at centre back yeah. on his uh, last ever game. Get in. Uh, any take other, him off any other business seconds. on what was I thought a thoroughly entertaining day? Can't go without my obligatory escape to victory reference. Oh, go for it! And with gracious thanks to John Mark, who actually provided one an interview with the Northern Echo. Mm-hmm. I suppose our team was a bit like the one in Escape to Victory. We had lots of good outfield players, but the goalkeeper was lousy. Ooh. <laughs> ah, ow, burn, ow. burn. Oh, that I would imagine was John Wark off Ruffy's Christmas card list. Oh, that's harsh. Oh, that is harsh. Well, that's it for day uh, 10. Meanwhile, day 11 is around the corner and the World Cup never ends. There's a game between Brazil and New Zealand, who, which literally, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kieran, means absolutely nothing. Um, but we get to watch Brazil again. So that's yeah. good. Like, yeah. uh, go this on. might be, and I haven't watched it yet, but 
this might be like watching Brazil against Mannequins. You know, there might be just that level of difference between the two teams. You know the you know the training things you see now. You see guys practicing their free kicks around. I won't spoil it alert for you, but there is one magnificent goal in that game. So enjoy. No, equally as good as anything else at Brazil score. Fantastical. Oh, wow, mama. Sorry, sorry, just some people don't know the scores, Kevin. So was Brazil not one of New Zealand's no, no, goals? New Zealand's goals. Oh, yeah. oh, that one goes well. Sorry. I figured it would speak Sumner, all right. France, Czechoslovakia is the other game, and Algeria, Chile. Ooh, that could be that could be entertaining. There's, 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 there's a lot of those two games now. There's a lot of those two round, games. I dare say Algeria cruising to the next round. Lads, I don't want to say oh, this because I was so kind bad. of waiting till tomorrow, but I'm going to say this just to finish this week's podcast. This is a 22-day tournament and tomorrow is the halfway point. So we're not even halfway there. Good news for all the Scots on this day, though, was that their future king was born. Oh my god! I, I wish this podcast had a visual element. Oh <laughs> yeah, Kevin's looking thrilled at the prospect of King William. King William was born on this day in 1982. I must have oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're obviously still a prince, but you know it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> the monarchy yeah, will survive. That anyway. So many people have listened through 10 days of a World Cup 82 review just to, to hear talk about the royal family right at the end of this. All right, that's it. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.